0: Good morning, everyone. It is really good to see you and to be together with you today as we continue on our sermon series on the book of Acts. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Sandy. I am the youth and family pastor here, which means I have the enormous privilege of working with the most fun members of our congregation our youth, kids, toddlers, and babies. And as part of my role, I have learned a lot of things from our emerging generations, and I want to share with you a couple of the things that I've learned today. And one of those things is some new vocabulary, which I'm going to teach you so that you can go home later and use it with the teenagers in your life. They're gonna hate it, and it's gonna be so fun. Uh, So I'm gonna give you two, and they kind of go in order of how dramatically they will make your teenager roll their eyes at you when you say it. So here is level one, the first one. Next time your teenager asks you for something and you want to say yes to them, like if they ask for a ride to school or if they can sit in the front seat of the car on the way home or if they can go to a friend's house later, instead of saying yes, you're just going to say bet. Not you bet, that's wrong, just bet. They'll hate it and it's going to be great. All right, if you get past that one, level two, and fair warning, this is gonna make them really angry, they'll hate it a lot, so choose your moment wisely. The phrase is high key obsessed. And you're gonna use this when you're talking about something that you're really excited about or that you're really into lately, and it's even better if that thing is actually kind of boring. So you'll say, I am high key obsessed with the price of lettuce at Costco this week or you'll say, I am high-key obsessed with this new brand of floor cleaner, and they're going to hate it so much every time. It'll be so much fun. Teenagers here today, I'm really sorry, and I'll bring some extra treats to youth group to make up for it. But I've really learned a lot as I work with your kids and teenagers, and what I've learned is that the world that they're growing up in looks really different from the world that each one of us grew up in, and not only in terms of vocabulary and colloquialisms, But in terms of the dominant cultural narrative of our world, according to Statistics Canada, the fastest growing religious designation in our country right now is none, as in none of the above. And a huge portion of the nuns, the people who would say that they don't ascribe to any form of organized religion, are the duns. And this would be the group of people that grew up with a faith and they were part of a church, and they would have identified themselves as Christians, but at some point, they grew disillusioned with God's people, and now they would say that they are done with church. And you know, as we meet here this morning on the weekend of Truth and Reconciliation Day, and we remember how only two years ago, we discovered innumerable graves at residential schools across our country that were run by churches, and as we've read and watched Um, Over this past year, story after story of prominent churches and pastors who were covering up abuse or misusing their positions of trust, it's maybe not hard for us to imagine why this group of nuns and duns has been growing and is growing so quickly. Even as I talk just really broadly about these things this morning, my heart aches again with grief for those injustices that pretended to be done in the name of Jesus. And then in the wake of all of this, many people are left wondering, and maybe even some of you here today are left wondering, what do I do with church? How do I continue to be part of this? How do I make sense of all of the mess and all of the hurt? And if I can't, how do I then build my own life and my own identity apart from all of this? This is the dominant cultural narrative that each one of us needs to look inward to our own selves and construct our own identity and value systems. This concept is often referred to as the inward turn or the subjective turn, the idea that I should look to myself rather than to any outer authority. And hear me out on this, but this cultural shift is not necessarily a bad thing. These are good questions to be asking. And if you haven't had a conversation lately with someone from one of our emerging generations, then you should, because they ask really good and important questions. But while this isn't a bad thing, it can be a very overwhelming thing, whether this is the world that you are growing up in right now or whether this world looks really different from the world in which you grew up. And we need to think together about what it means to be the church in this cultural moment. What do we have to offer to an aching world that is so disillusioned with God's church and with what it means to be a follower of God? I just love that we're working through the book of Acts right now because I think it has so much to say to us about just this question. And we're gonna start looking for the answer in Acts chapter three, where we read about Peter and John who are doing something that is actually super normal. They're going to the temple at the time of prayer. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 say this. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John then peter said look at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them and i really love this story because so far everything about it is just so completely normal some of the routines of prayer and worship that peter and john would have grown up with remained part of their routines of worship after they came to know jesus If Statistics Jerusalem had mailed around a form asking them to indicate their religion, they wouldn't have just drawn a big line through Judaism and written in Christianity. It was way too soon in history for that. And so it makes sense that they would go to the temple to pray at the time of prayer. They were just going about the ordinary business of everyday faithfulness, seeking God in fellowship with others, and telling people the truth about Jesus. And this day was also super normal for the man who had come there to beg, too. He was brought there every day so that as people went up to the temple to pray or to make sacrifices or to get right with God, they would have to pass him. And there was a bit of reciprocity there because the people on their way to get right with God would have opportunity to maybe practice some generosity and the man would have opportunity to get some money to live. It wasn't a perfect system, but it worked, and people had gotten used to it, and everyone had just accepted that this is what life was going to look like. And so he went, like he did every day, to sit outside the temple gate called Beautiful because due to his physical condition, he wasn't even allowed to go any further than that. And on this supernormal day, something extraordinary happens. Peter and John and the man whose name we don't know cross paths, and he asked them for money. Peter looked at him, and he said in Acts 3, verses 6 to 10, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. On this very ordinary day, this man who had come to beg received more than he ever imagined. Silver and gold I do not have, says Peter, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he does. And the miracle wasn't just that he could walk, but that he got to know the one who made him walk. He met Jesus and his life was changed. And so he goes with Peter and John into the temple court, somewhere that he had never been allowed to go before, And he walks and he jumps and he praises God for the new life that was given to him by Jesus. Silver and gold I do not have, but I know the one who gives life. And then people in the temple court start to notice this guy who's just jumping around. And they say, But isn't that the guy who's always sitting at the temple gate and he's walking now? How did that happen? How is this possible? And I love Peter's response to them. He says in verse 12, When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. Peter says, you think this is surprising? This is just a super normal day, you guys. This is just what Jesus does. He makes broken things whole. He makes dead things come to life. He brings hope to hopeless situations. And he can do it for you, too. And what's really interesting is that the religious leaders the ones who would go to the temple every day to pray and to ask God to act in their world, they are just horrified by this. So much so that they have Peter and John arrested and they ask them, by what power did you do this? Who said you could do this? How are you doing this? And they want them to stop and they're confused and they're scared because this can't really be what has happened. This isn't the system that they've come to expect. This isn't how they really believe that God functions. And it's almost as if they had given up on the idea of a personal God who could actually do something in the world, who could actually enter into someone's life in this way. We know that they believe it at least theoretically, right? They still teach about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. But to see it actually happen in a place where they're so used to seeing hopelessness, where they had just accepted that they would always see hopelessness, and everyone kind of just agreed that this is what life was going to look like, somehow, that just doesn't make sense to them. And what I want to suggest as we wrestle with what it means to be the church in this cultural moment is that the place to start is by recognizing that even those of us who love God and who love his church, can struggle to believe that God can still act in a real way in hopeless situations. You guys thought I was setting us up to be Peter and John today, didn't you? But no, today we are the religious leaders. And maybe if you're really nice to Pastor Rob this week, we can be the good guys next Sunday. I think he takes his coffee with cream if you want to start bribing him now. But really, though, when the world is overwhelming and the questions feel too big, and the problems seem too hard, and we don't have the answers or the solutions, isn't it just easier to say, well, you know, this isn't a perfect system, but it's the one that we have. It's the way that things are. And then just walk right on the temple steps through the beautiful gates because we think that we don't have anything to offer the people who are waiting outside. Now, silver and gold, I just don't have that. But the truth is, even if I did, even if I did have silver and gold, even if money were always the solution or power or wisdom or knowledge, I could never have enough of it to fix every problem or to repair all of the damage that has been done or to heal hurts that are too big. Even all of us together pooling everything that we have could never have enough money or power or wisdom or knowledge. And don't get me wrong, we should be sharing our silver and our gold and God honors the money and the time that we give to bless others. But that isn't our main job. And if people start to put their faith in us and in what we can do, then it won't be very long until they are very disappointed. Instead, our job is to point beyond ourselves and say, silver and gold, I have none but I have a risen savior who brings life to death and hope to hopelessness. There is more than what the world is offering you. There is more than these imperfect systems that we've all become too comfortable with. And I think the context of the book of Acts is actually really important for us as we try to understand this because there's so much that happens that it can be really hard to read the book of Acts and not be left with this picture of like these superhuman people who were just out relentlessly claiming hearts and lives for Jesus. But that's just not what's happening. You know, the crowds at the courtyard, at the temple courtyard, they gather around Peter and John thinking that they had done this incredible thing. And Peter says, you think we did this? You think somehow we have power and godliness to have done this? You think we could make this man walk? this was Jesus. Jesus did this. All we did was show up to pray. Silver and gold have we none. Power and godliness, not so much. But what we do have is Jesus, who calls us to walk with him in ordinary, everyday faithfulness, in our ordinary, everyday spaces, so that we are ready to offer an aching world, the hope of the living Jesus. You know, in the end of this story, no one can actually think of a good reason to keep Peter and John in jail. So they let them go on the condition that they will stop telling people about Jesus. And so Peter and John do go, and they go right back to their community of Jesus followers, and they pray together. And after they pray, the building they were in was shaken as they were filled again with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And what they do with this new boldness, I think, is amazing. We read it in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and god's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need what they do with their boldness is they just keep on going they keep on being the church They keep about the ordinary business of everyday faithfulness, of praying together, of worshiping together, of caring for those in need. Just ordinary people doing ordinary things. And God works among them, doing extraordinary things through these acts of ordinary obedience. And as the church grows and the world around them sees that there is something different about these people and they want to know more, Nobody goes out and says, well, you know, we have these really great pastors. You should come and meet them. They're so much fun. And no one says, well, we have these awesome programs, and we play nine square, and it's a hoot. And no one says, well, we have the best coffee. You'll want to skip Starbucks and come right to church because we have the best coffee there. Instead, what they say is, you think we're doing this? Silver and gold, we don't have. This is Jesus. Pastors and programs and even coffee will come to their limit. And when they do, what we really have to offer people is Jesus. And this is really good news, because this means that grown-ups, as you walk with the children or teenagers or young adults that you love, as they wrestle with the big questions of identity and social justice and mental health, your job isn't to have all of the right answers or to solve all of their problems. Your job is to say, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I'll give you. I have the hope of the living Jesus. And this means that kids and teens and young adults, as you walk with your church family through a world that we don't understand very well, and we're panicking for all of the wrong reasons, and we can't see the way forward, you can say to us, look, Silver and gold, we don't have that, but we have the hope of the living Jesus. When there's grief that is too big, when there are hurts that are too deep, when we don't know where to start, we start here. Silver and gold, we don't have, but in the name of Jesus, there is more than this. We don't need to try to convince others of our power or try to grab it back or demand to be heard or prove our worth or our value because power and strength have we none. Prestige and acclaim, none of that either. Righteousness, still no. But what we do have is the hope of the living Jesus and we can witness to the world that our God still acts. And I think we need to start by asking ourselves this question. Is there space in my life and in my worldview for a personal God who can actually do something in a person's life? Do I believe that he still works, that he can still do big things, that he is real and active in our world? Start there. And when the world gets overwhelming, start there again. Do I believe that God is doing something real in the world? I sure do. Do I want other people to believe that too? I really do. And do I want to be part of something that tells that story? Bet. Will you pray with me today? God, we thank you that you are working in our world and that the challenges that feel too big for us are not too big for you. Would you give us new eyes to see the world around us where we have gotten used to seeing hopelessness? Would you help us to see the people and the places in our everyday routines where you are calling us to speak the hope and the life of Jesus? We thank you for the community that you've given us here at River Cross. And we ask that as we worship together and pray together and work together and do life together, that you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit so that we can be a witness to the world around us of the power of the resurrected Jesus, who is the only one who can change lives. We give to you this morning our ministries and our gatherings and our offerings, and we ask that you would take them and make them into opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. Would you teach us how to say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we will give you. There is hope in Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.